Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is Doc Stahl with New Books in Jazz. Every month we look at a new, unusual, and original book in the world of jazz, and this month's selection is about Kenny Dorham, entitled K.D., a jazz biography by Dave Oliphant, published by Wings Press. Dave is a poet, a writer, and a jazz historian in the key of Texas history. His highly creative and elusive musical quatrains form a poetic biography of trumpeter Kenny Dorham, a gifted player who, though often overshadowed by contemporaries like Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, and Clifford Brown, nonetheless had his own dignified, dynamic, and distinctive sound. He played with and learned from the great ones, Diz, Charlie, Monk, Art, but Kay, Kenny Dorham, was always his own man. Dave Oliphant writes... With literature, Homer, and Shakespeare, in jazz can number Kenny and Clifford, and yet for some K.D. was nowhere near to ebullient Brownie who ever soared. But then Ken drives a row of sabers, wrote harmony illustrated of his own, airborne line slices dices never wavers, and also melodious as any aria's known. Dave Oliphant writing about Kenny Dorham. Dave, welcome to New Books and Jazz. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, Dave, I got to tell you, um, I had to look up a lot of words, and I had to look up a lot of allusions. Um, you've got everything from Homer to Shakespeare to the history of uh, the horn and Western literature to uh, to Kenny Dorham, a uh, man he obviously ad- admired and wrote beautifully about. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, about your book, but first I'd like to talk a little bit about you and your past and uh, growing up in Texas and what your interests were and, and how you came to write this unusual uh, poetic biography of the uh, jazz trumpeter Kenny Dorham. Okay. Um, I was born in Fort Worth, uh, 1939, and uh, I went to school later uh, in Oklahoma briefly. We moved back to Texas, and I went to junior high, high school, and college in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, I uh, played in the we didn't we couldn't call it a dance band uh, in those days in the Bible Belt. Uh, so I played in what was called the stage band. And uh, I played trumpet, and my uh, orchestra teacher uh, started this band, and we would rehearse uh, before and after school. wasn't really uh, part of the curriculum. You didn't get any credit. But, uh, of course, I find that very ironic because uh, what I got from that experience uh, has lasted a lifetime. And uh, so my... Uh, orchestra teacher who played uh, violin and alto sax. Uh, he started the band, and uh, his name was Harold Meehan, and he was from St. Louis, and he had heard uh, Miles Davis and 
Charlie Parker Live and uh, so many other uh, bands uh, that came through St. Louis. And so when he went to Beaumont to teach uh, high school, he brought all that information with him and shared with us. And he would buy recordings uh, with the school funds, and he would buy Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. And so that's how I heard the music uh, for the first time. And, and as I say in my book, Texan Jazz, it was love at first sound. Uh, there, there's no really accounting for uh, how that happened because I had never heard jazz uh, until uh, he came and, and, and introduced us to the music. Yeah, I was going to ask you about about that uh, whether whether your parents uh, were jazz fans or musicians. Uh, my dad uh, loved to. Uh, my mother and dad loved to dance, and they would go to the Fort Worth. Lake Worth, uh, uh, it was called the Casino Ballroom uh, in the 30s. And uh, my dad particularly liked uh, three bands that came, Duke Ellington, Jimmy Lunsford, and Cab Calloway. And uh, so, but he never mentioned any of that until I got interested in jazz through high school, and I started buying these recordings and I brought home Duke Ellington, and it just really turned him on, and he started telling me about when they would go to the uh, Lake Worth and, and dance. Uh, then when Duke Ellington came, said he didn't want to dance. He just wanted to stand next to Duke's uh, piano and watch him and listen to the band. So he, uh, he was not a musician, uh, and neither was my mother, and she, well, she liked to dance, but I don't think the music ever meant much to her. Uh, but my dad got a, a big kick out of uh, my bringing these uh, recordings home. And I remember one time I was playing uh, a Benny Goodman uh, recording with uh, uh, Charlie Christian on uh, guitar. And uh, he heard that. And uh, when I wasn't around, he would go and get that recording. It was a piece called uh, Blues and B. It was really just uh, uh, it was a re they were at a rehearsal, and Benny Goodman hadn't shown up yet. And so Charlie Christian just started courting and uh, improvising, and uh, Cootie Williams was there, and he started playing trumpet. And it's just a marvelous piece. And then... They say, okay, time, and they cut the thing because Benny Goodman had arrived. And that was, you know, my dad loved that uh, piece and used to play it over and over. Oh, that, that's that's lovely. And, and uh, it also just bespeaks how beautiful it is to have a great teacher. And, and then you bring it home to your dad and you find out, gee, your dad knows a lot of good stuff. Right. He had good taste. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, what about Kenny Dorham? Uh, you mentioned that your, your your teacher brought in these um, these records of these dance bands. When were you first introduced to the music of Kenny Dorham? Well, I, uh, I I bought a big box set of Charlie Parker recordings, um, and I think it was on a, like a Charlie Parker uh, label, and I had that box set for uh, a number of years. I don't remember exactly when I bought it, but I knew that Kenny Dorham was on there. Uh, so his name stuck in my head 
but to tell the truth, uh, it, it, he, he didn't really impress me that much at the time. Um, and uh, eventually, my, my wife and kids and I moved to Mexico, where I taught for a year. And before I left, I got rid of a lot of uh, books and recordings, uh, which I always regretted later. But some guy said that he would like to buy that box set. I said, okay. Uh, so I let it go. Um, and then when we came back uh, to the States, and I was teaching at the University of Texas in Austin, um, and I got the idea to to write a book on Texan jazz musicians, I went to the music library, and I found that very box set. Uh, and I listened to all the recordings again, and Kenny Dorham impressed me much more than he had in years before. And then I really began to, to find more of his recordings and hear him and uh, began to develop uh, an appreciation for his uh, style uh, and his uh, artistry. So that's, that's more or less how it began. You know, one of the things I got, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm getting an accurate picture or not, because I wasn't familiar with, with Kenny Dorham before I, I read your, your book, he seemed to have a lot of a dignity. Um, oh, yes. I, he, he, he wasn't overstated things, at all. That's one of the things that impressed me about him. The more I got to, to know about him and, and to listen to his music, I mean, it's not, it's not music intended to impress you, really. Uh, he was obviously a very serious musician, and you know he wasn't into fads. He, when he got into something, he got into it very deeply. Um, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that too. Uh, it was fascinating to me um, just being introduced to somebody new, and I went out and of course I loaded down my my Kindle with some of the recordings, some of the ones uh, summertime I was listening before uh, before I called called you. And uh, one of the beautiful things about doing this is you're introduced to to new people, and uh, I really started to get an appreciation uh, for his playing and his understatement, but also his uh, his versatility. And I I wanted to ask you. This book that you wrote, uh, which was an extended poem, it must have been a lot of fun because you really, it was a way of, of talking about somebody you admired, and but also you were able to take your own knowledge in literature and history and popular culture and put that together. Right. Uh, of course, I didn't know that that's the way it was going to work when I started. Uh, I just knew that... Uh, uh, that this would be a long poem uh, because I wanted to base it uh, on as much of his life as I could could discover because, of course, I never knew him uh, and didn't really know anyone that, that knew him and really not that many people that knew his work that well that I could even uh, discuss it with. Uh, I did later uh, meet uh, his daughter, Yvette Dorham, and then through her, I met uh, two other of the five uh, Dorham girls. So, um, but that was really after the fact. I had already basically uh, written the uh, uh, the book uh, at that point, or at least I was far enough along that 
uh, even though I did ask her a few questions, she could not answer any of them. Uh, so I really had to depend on liner notes uh, and uh, essays uh, or uh, comments on uh, Kenny Dorham's work uh, in, uh, in books on jazz in general. What was my, my biggest source, however, is a, is a piece that he wrote that was published, uh, I think it was in a 1970 downbeat uh, yearbook, uh, called Fragments of an Autobiography, which really only goes up to about, um, well, I can't remember exactly, but uh, in maybe around 1949 or so, well, maybe 51, maybe it went up as far as 51, but really before his uh, career took off. So it doesn't, it's not really much about his career, it's really about uh, growing up in Texas. Uh, which really appealed to me because, of course, being a native myself, uh, in, in my own writing, I have always wanted to write about uh, my part of the country, the people. Uh, I wrote uh, a book-length poem uh, prior to this uh, called Austin, which is about the city of Austin, but it's also about Stephen F. Austin, uh, who's been called the father of Texas, uh, who uh, brought colonists uh, to the state. And I enjoyed that uh, so much. Uh, and, and again, I did sort of what you're talking about, including uh, literature and history, a lot of history of the state. And uh, I had a great, uh, a great lot of fun uh, writing that book. And as you suggest, uh, and I'm happy it come, seems to come through, I really, really enjoyed writing the Kenny Dorham uh, verse biography, even though there were times that I, I wondered if I'd ever make it through it, and I wondered if anyone could make any sense out of it. But uh, the reviews have been very, very gratifying. I just really am rather amazed, to tell you the truth. Uh, that people have uh, have been able to get into it and and take from it what what I hope they would. So it's it's been quite gratifying. Well, it's uh, it's really a creative tour de force. And uh, as I mentioned to you in an email earlier, I was uh, reading some of the passages to my my lady friend, and uh, she exclaimed, "Wow, is is that dense?" And I realized that. You could, you could, you can probably read it a number of different ways, but you could, you could read it just in terms of rhythm and rhyme and kind of ride the river with it. Or you can read it in terms of, you know, wow, I, do I catch that illusion there? And, and isn't, you know, did I know that? And, and you're kind of checking yourself because you drop all these different illusions, um, to Western literature and art and, science and neurons and <laughs> it, it uh you almost could teach a semester course on your poem there dave well that was the fun of doing it and as i say uh, i had no idea that that's the way that it was going to work out it's just as i would listen to the recordings and, and begin to write about particular episodes in in kenny dorham's life these connections would just come into my head. You know, I mean, there's no explaining that, really. And even to me, it was a surprise every day when I would work on it. I mean, I didn't know what was coming, and so it was so much fun uh, 
to to have these things in a sense come to me but had I not had the framework had I not had uh, Kenny's music and uh, what little I could discover about his life uh these connections you know would not have happened uh, the the point of the of the illusions and the history and and the uh other aspects of uh culture that come in i mean they're all intended uh to uh, to clarify and to describe and to present uh Kenny's music uh through in a sense different lenses and uh so for me that was the fun of it i mean I, it was every day it was like a, a discovery for me uh, just as i hope as you say the reader discovers these connections and and is maybe a little surprised by them as i was uh, sometimes i would say wow where did that come from <laughs> well you were rechanneling kenny dorham in in your own poetic riffs there exactly, you didn't right. and you didn't you didn't know where it was coming from exactly. i i think he would have right i think he would have uh, i think he would have uh, loved it and really appreciated well, I'd it i like to think so yes uh so um for for listeners who aren't familiar with Kenny Dorham's life, very quickly uh, give us a, a thumbnail sketch of who he was. He played with some of the great jazz greats. And then I hope you'll uh, give us uh, some selected uh, readings from your book, too. So tell us, who was Kenny Dorham, and, and where does he fit in the, the jazz pantheon of great uh, trumpet players? Well, he was born in a tiny, tiny town uh, called Post Oak, uh, in uh, sort of northeast or yeah, more or less northeast uh, Texas, or it's almost almost the middle of the state, but it's in the eastern uh, side. It's about uh, not quite, but about midway between Dallas and Houston. And uh, the the larger town where he where he uh, probably went to school uh, is called Fairfield, and he was born in 1924. Uh, when he was 10 years old, uh, his family allowed him to move to uh, Austin and live with an uncle, and that's where he began to play the trumpet. He had already picked up the piano, at least played around on the piano, because his sister played the piano, and... Uh, she apparently was really quite good, and she encouraged him. And so he moved to Austin, and he went to what was then uh, Anderson High School on the east side. Of, uh, of course, it was a segregated uh, school. And uh, so he started trumpet there. He played in the high school band. And then he uh, he went to Marshall, Texas, which is uh, right pretty much on the border with uh, Louisiana, uh, and he went to Wiley College. He attended for uh, really not much more than a year, um, and the war began, so this was uh, 41. Uh, but he played in the uh, the Wiley College uh, uh, band, and uh, he, he toured around Texas with that band. Uh, they went to a lot of different cities, and uh, and he did one of his first arrangements. Uh, I think it was Stardust. Uh, I mentioned in the book. 
uh, and then uh, he uh, he was drafted, and he was in the uh, the army. And when he got out, he went to New York, and uh, he played out in California at one point briefly with uh, uh, with Illinois Jack Hitt's, uh brother. Now I can't remember his first name. Um, and uh, and then he ended up in New York, and uh, by then, I mean, he must have been really quite good because he got into the first Dizzy Gillespie big band, and then in in 49, uh, and he recorded with Bud Powell and uh, many of the important musicians of the period, and then Charlie Parker picked him as his uh, trumpet player to replace Miles Davis in 49. And he was with, uh, let's see, is that 47? Uh, yeah, it was 40, 47, and he was with him until 49. Uh, and then he went to California again, and then he came back to New York. And then he recorded with everybody. I mean, John Coltrane, of course, uh, with Charlie Parker, uh, Coleman Hawkins. I mean, you just name somebody, and he he recorded uh, with them. Um, so that uh, that of course interested me, and uh, I have over seventy CDs uh, of his work. So he was very very active, and he was in the essentially the first. Uh, uh, a jazz uh, group that uh, Art Blakey put together. He actually had one a little bit earlier, but uh, the one that was sort of officially the Jazz Messengers, uh, Kenny Dorham was in the first in that first group that recorded. Um, so from there, I mean, he just went on and he traveled to different parts of uh, the world. He recorded in Scandinavia. Which is where the I start the poem in Scandinavia. It's sort of as an epic poem. It starts in the middle, you know, in Medias Res, and so I start there and then work back to his uh, boyhood in Texas, and um, so that's I guess a thumbnail sketch. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you must have. I mean, you comment. In you, you write these poetic liner notes, but you're actually commenting on the liner notes and the critics who are writing the notes, right. which is which is interesting too. So you're as, as you talk about his life, you also weave in what the critics were saying and and kind of your own take on that. Right, right. Uh, Do you have? Sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes I don't. Right. Um, <laughs> and I yeah, may I, be totally wrong, but anyway, that's my. As you say, that's my take on it. <laughs> well, I think that's that's the fun of it too. And and uh, I had a real good time just downloading some of the songs uh, and listening for myself. And, uh, and just like you, you have this uh, this this box set, and you give it up, and then you rediscover it for the first time again. Um, and uh, it's 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 a really uh, wonderful piece of self discovery um, to to read that and then and then find out what what you think of of Kenny Dorman. I certainly just in the time that I was introduced to him through your your poem uh, began to really appreciate uh, some of the sessions and there's some wonderful sessions on on YouTube uh, that you can watch too. I watched one of the sessions in Sweden. Uh, this right, week, right, before the, fabulous. Oh, 
too. Yeah, we really enjoyed that. Well, would you uh, would you be willing to read a couple uh, a couple sections, uh, a couple of uh, self selected uh, sections for us from the book? Sure. I, you know, it's sort of hard to to know what will uh, come across uh, uh, orally, but uh, uh, I'll read uh, I'll read from uh, a section called wood shedding. Which, uh, as you know, is a is a kind of term used in jazz to uh, refer to a musician spending a lot of time practicing, getting his chops together, as they say, and that sort of thing. How, how does that sound? That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so this this is uh, when he he really starts uh, uh, learning the trumpet in uh, in Austin uh, and. Uh, Let's see, when would this have been? Uh, uh, well, it would, been, it would have been in the, say, mid-30s, uh, I don't, I, offhand. Uh, actually, I see now that I have a reference to 1939, so that that's probably right. <laughs> I can't remember all these dates myself. Um, another reason for writing things down, right? <laughs> you can't, uh, you won't forget them that way. I got there quicker than I ever thought, Dave. <laughs> that same phase. Oh, is that right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Woodshedding. <laughs> I'm still woodshedding in in every aspect oh, of my oh, life. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know my memory's yeah, going. So, yeah. Right. Well, here it is, woodshedding. Uh, well, let, let me explain that uh, throughout the poem, I use uh, you know different determinations for his name. KD is one. Uh, Kenny Dorham. That he was known by, uh, at least among uh, his fellow musicians, and then I'll use Ken or I'll use Kenny or sometimes I'll just use K, uh, depending on the length of the line and rhymes and all that sort of thing. So it begins: Ken's prodigious ear, at five years old, could pick out keyboard boogies cold, and from Sis's '78s he could already tell Louis on trumpet an equal of Gabriel. At 10, the family agreed to let him live with his uncle in the capital city, where in 03, student poet John Lang Sinclair wrote his eyes, sung by UT fans, give even now their hook'em sign. And in 31, at Hotel Driscoll, after a Texas freshman heard the power and grace in Lewis' horn, he faced his racism with shame and scorn. The Negro's notes, as if from outer space, spinned in an orbit he had never known. And in 54, Charlie Black, counsel for case of Brown versus Board, the seeds early sown. In 39, Sis had convinced their daddy to buy a little brother a $14 horn, so off-key, the bandmaster said he was never in tune, so got him a newer, better, his silver con. But soon, the director had to send Kay home, ordered him to get out of this music room and don't come back for stomping his feet, doing dipsy doodle to a swinging beat. For four long days disallowed in the class, 
dying to return. Then his folks took him in for a serious talking to, exacting a solemn promise to straighten up, fly right, practice every day, to learn by heart the predictable Sousa March's loud refrain, its softer trio, and to stay in step out on the football field, yet with classes over, Louis still his hero. I don't know. Do I go on or you want? No, I, I think you keep. I think you keep going with it, Dave. Let's let's hear a little more of that. Oh, okay. For hours, copying Dipper's hottest licks from hymnal to alley and Storyville stalls, echoing back to him off pine wood walls of his uncle's barns, seasoned acoustics from Jericho tumbled by Joshua's siege to opera shot mad sweet pangs of keyed cornets into Walt's epical belly and breast, wrenching orders unaware he possessed, whirling him higher than a ties Uranus, and with her metal lips, Emily to nonplus her, her melodic bolts forever floating in air as a balloon can lift or the pontoon pier. Job would hear God's whirlwind laugh, his terrible wrath in each trumpet blast, sniffing out a fight, rejoiced in his rage, its dread bluster either to loose or cage. Circa 1358 B.C., the young Tutankhamun dies on a desert hunt, a death so sudden, then for afterlife, embalmed in his tomb with two trumpets in its art-filled room. When Messenus, unsurpassed Aeolian son, dared on his hollow horn to rival Triton, Papa Poseidon would drown his sound, surf thunder snuffing that brightness out, conch shells signaling sightings of ships, celibate Tibetans to blow the long pipes, Roland's oliphant warning, great Charles, bugles for reveille, taps, retreat, or charge. In more recent days, slavery's obligato refitted the battle in the Negro spiritual. A shofar or hasosra fingered high or low, announcing priest, enter and prostrate all. Bull voice Nordic lure with its twisted S, bronze shaped as if some mammoth tusk ending in a flat ornamental disc, a Danish evidence of pre Christian prehistory music. Sea beast of Grendel's mater, startled by Thane's tooted arrival of Geet with troops, hunting horn den of Pearl's green knight, Chaucer's wooden beams, the village poops. Well, I go that's, on there with quite a catalog <laughs> of uh, horns like, in history. <laughs> you sure you sure do. That's like one of Coltrane's extended solos there, oh, Dave. Okay. That's 192 page. I don't know how you did it. It's just really something else. I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, you'd uh, you'd keep people up for days looking up all the illusions you've got in there. 
But uh, I sure enjoy hearing you read it, too, because um, you, you get a sense of the alliterations that you put in there, which are uh, so beautiful. And you start to get warmed up there. It's like you're playing your own solo there, you know, and you you catch into the rhythm. And that's one of the fun parts of, of reading your your poem, too, is you uh, you have your own internal rhythms and you sync it up with uh, with what you're writing there. And it's uh, it's really great. It's it's really great fun. Uh, let me look. Let me turn to uh, to another interesting part of the book where you talk about um, the other great trumpet players and, and particularly the death and, and tragedy of uh, many of the jazz trumpet players in American jazz. I wondered if you'd just talk about that and, and where Kenny Dorham uh, fits in that. Right. He, uh, Kenny Dorham died fairly young. He was 48, but not nearly as, as young as uh, some of the greats like Clifford Brown or Bix Beiderbecke or uh, any number of other uh, great musicians that died young. Of course, Dizzy Gillespie had a long, long life and career, and someone like Harry James, uh, you know, had uh, very long careers. Uh, so uh, Kenny was sort of in the middle, you know, medium age in a sense, but still uh, he he didn't really uh, record or play that much that was uh, up to his 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 real highest level in the last few years because he he was ill with a kidney condition. But uh, yeah, it, it, I, I found it uh, uh, wonderful to be able to to connect him uh, with other uh, trumpet players because, of course, as a as a former trumpet player myself, I was never any good, let me tell you that. But I, I loved uh, trying, and I did play. I played in college as well, uh, played in a dance band there. And my teacher at, uh, at then Lamar, it was called Lamar Tech, now it's Lamar University, was a great uh, uh, trumpet teacher, uh, Richard Burkhart, who went from uh, Lamar in Beaumont he went to become head of all brasses at Ohio State University, so you can see that he was he was really quite good. And uh, so I studied under him and and played in the dance band there. So I, I had some wonderful experiences, and and these obviously uh, helped me in in being able to write uh, the book to have actually played a trumpet myself. But again, I'll I'll add not very well. At any rate. Uh, it, it was it was delightful to be able to co- connect Kenny and and in many cases he actually played with these people uh, and so he he knew them intimately and they knew him and admired his work uh, and it and it also of course was a very uh, emotional uh, part of the book uh, because uh, to think about the loss of of a player like Clifford Young so so young, uh, I'm sorry, Clifford Brown, uh, um, and then th- there were several others that I mentioned. Uh, in fact, you know, any number of, uh, uh, of trumpet players uh, in the 30s, even uh, uh, Bix Beiderbecke and uh, uh, Bunny uh, Berrigan, and on and on. So. Uh, that added a more emotional uh, 
a dimension to the poem for me and and I certainly could could really get my own feelings about these great trumpet players or, or tried to get my own feelings into the into the poem and so I'm happy to hear you mention that uh, that aspect of the poem because uh, it was very meaningful to me. There's another interesting uh, part that you allude to, not in great detail, but um, you mentioned uh, when many of the jazz players were taking Muslim names, and uh, you mentioned Muhammad Ali and whatever. And um, yeah, which uh, I enjoyed. I I actually, when I was doing, I, I don't recall, Dave, maybe I missed it. Uh, didn't Dorham wasn't he a boxer at, at yeah, in yeah, the army? Yeah, you mentioned that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was which I I found was was interesting and yeah, completely. Yeah, came up with two other Texans, Red Garland and uh, oh darn, what was the other uh, John Handy, uh, who were boxers. They were Dallas uh, uh, jazz musicians, and or let's see, maybe Handy was from Houston. Well, anyway, from Texas. Uh, and they were boxers and actually boxed for the Golden Gloves, uh, although I don't think Kenny did, but he did box uh, in uh, in the Army. And uh, Miles Davis also boxed uh, to some extent, or at least he really liked boxers. Yeah, Yeah, I, I think he, Miles Davis actually started training at Stillman's Gym or something like that when he there was that great Jack Johnson album that he, uh, right, right. he did in the, yeah. in the 70s. But I, I always thought jazz was very consistent with uh, with boxing. They, they seemed very similar to me. You know, boxing is just body jazz, you know, oh, okay, uh, especially yeah. at the level of greatness, yeah. Um, I hadn't so thought talk about a, that. I could, I could have used that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That probably would have been my only contribution to your to your uh, to your to your great poem there, Dave. Um, talk a little bit about as I said before. I, you know, it really comes out at least from your poem that that Dorm uh, had kind of a, a great dignity to him. Um, that he never you know tried to stand out or overshadow other players. Um, talk a little bit about uh, maybe the the end of his life again. Just just kind of um, taking off uh, uh, when you when you talked about other jazz trumpeters. Uh, I, I guess I was thinking of Lee Morgan too. Right, I was yeah, to yeah I song. mentioned him in there, right? Yeah, yeah Una Moss. Uh, I was just listening to that uh, before I I gave you a call, and I thought that was a terrific uh, piece, and then it reminded me of a Lee Morgan piece, but just. Just how all these things are are connected, you know, um, like your poem and all these illusions, these these jazz players. I mean, that's really what it is. You you uh, you learn from other players and and you reintegrate it and reconstitute it in your own form, in your own way, in your own style. Um, you, you you do compare Kenny Dorham to to Clifford Brown and, and other other players, right? Right. Um, and of course, they were very different. You can't just like apples and pears, but. Uh, uh, my point was that, of course, uh, Kenny Dorham had his own style, his own thing, and and it's you know valuable too. It may be maybe not as good as uh, Miles Davis or Clifford Brown in, in in certain ways, but it has its own uh, specialness that I, I tried to bring out. The thing about uh, Kenny's uh, dignity, as you as you say. Uh, is that uh, he was very generous. Uh, he uh, uh, 
always uh, gave the other musicians uh, as much, if not more, time than he gave to himself when he was a leader. Uh, you know, he, he never hogged uh, the uh, spotlight or anything like that. Um, and and what I really uh, admired, uh, especially at, at the end of the poem, and I, uh, a lot of the information that I have, of course, uh, I've gotten from other people, and and I've tried to give the names of people, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the critics or writers of uh, liner notes or. Uh, in books that uh, where people have uh, uh, commented on uh, Kenny Dora, so I try to give credit all the way through as much as I as I could, and uh, I particularly was indebted at the end of the poem to um, a, a trumpet student uh, who graduated with a with a doctorate in uh, trumpet performance here at the University of Texas. I was at a uh, conference of the International Association of Recorded Music, something or another, um, that they held in San Antonio. It's you know it's an international group. I can't remember the exact <clears throat> abbreviation that they use, but uh, I had been invited, and I, I talked about uh, Texas jazz musicians. And I, at one point, I talked about Kenny Dorham, and I played something of his. And afterwards, this fellow came up to me and uh, said he really found it interesting, uh, especially about Kenny Dorham, that Kenny Dorham, when he was there uh, at the university, Kenny Dorham had phoned uh, the university. And I mentioned this at the end of the uh, at the end of the poem. Uh, and uh, he, he was hoping that he could come and share his experience with the students. And it never happened because he died before he could. But um, the, the idea that he liked to share time and experience and his knowledge and his love of the music, uh, I think is, is very admirable. And the other thing at the end of the poem is that even when he was uh, dying of, of uh, kidney disease, uh, he was not a complainer. And he would go to meetings with other musicians, uh, and they would always be complaining about how much they were paid or not paid, or uh, that they couldn't get jobs or this, that, and the other. And, and Kenny uh, really was struggling not only with the disease, but he didn't have a—he no longer had a, a cabaret card, and so he couldn't get work. And but. Um, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Cecil Payne, I believe, the uh, baritone player, uh, who wrote in one place that Kenny uh, never complained. You know, And uh, that, to me, sort of summarizes uh, something about him that is uh, very admirable. And uh, so, uh, to me, he is the hero of this epic poem, if I can call it that. Yeah. Well, what a lovely thing to have somebody like you uh, write in the way you do. Uh, I mean, you you write the poem very much in the way that uh, you felt about Kenny Dorham. Um, I think I think your poem itself had a great amount of dignity, and there were only small places in there where you 
you inserted your own cultural commentary and it was it was very appropriate and very interesting just even on the the meaning of of art you know the kind of existential meaning of you know what does it matter in this world um i i thought it was uh, really lovely done oh no um, thank you um want to do a couple more things dave um since you're you know you're you're a, a dyed in the wool Texan and you've written so many books of poetry and 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 uh, about Texas. Is there something that was Texas about Kenny Dorham? Was was there something in his playing, something in his demeanor that that would stamp him as Texas? Well, a lot a lot of commentators have uh, noted the fact that Texas jazz musicians seem seem to be really imbued. Uh, with the blues, I mean, they re- they really knew the blues. Uh, I know that uh, in another book that I wrote, I quoted Dizzy Gillespie talking about uh, uh, the uh, uh, Texas uh, trumpet player. Uh, I'm not going to forget his name. That would be <laughs> unforgivable. Anyway, uh, a trumpet player who played with uh, Count Basie and with the uh, Blue Devils uh, band, uh, Dizzy Gillespie once commented, uh, he said, uh, this musician, I, don't, I can't believe I can't remember his name offhand, uh, he said, he really knows the blues. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know the blues the way uh, this Texan does. And and I, I read that comment uh, any number of times, the fact that Texans, in fact, Gunther Schuler said that he thought that the blues really came from Texas uh, even more than Louisiana. And uh, so uh, Kenny certainly knew the blues and played the blues uh, wonderfully. Uh, So that would be one connection. Uh, Certainly a number of his uh, own compositions draw on his uh, boyhood uh, and and even his... uh, manhood in texas uh for instance uh one i think is called windmill um and uh offhand they, they don't come to me right away uh oh he has one call i think uh, stage west uh, supposed to be a kind of stage coach uh anyway sort of a western uh feeling uh to a number of his own compositions uh, and and one of the one of the uh, parts of the poem that I enjoyed a lot uh, is where I talk about some of these uh, compositions uh, and the fact that uh, even though he didn't go back to Texas uh, very often, he he did on a on a few occasions late in his life when he was sent by downbeat to review the uh, what was called the Longhorn Jazz Festival uh, in, in Austin. Um, but I, I talk about the fact that uh, he he would go back to Texas in his writing, uh, and so there was that connection that he always felt. And uh, one of my allusions uh, in there is to Antius. Uh, I think that's the way you pronounce it. Uh, the god who, or, or the figure in Greek uh, literature who. As long as he was touching the ground, no one, his strength could not be overcome. But 
uh, Hercules, I think it was, lifted him up off the ground, and that way he, he could defeat him. And I, I suggest that Kenny Dorham was, even though he didn't physically come back to Texas soil, he did through his writings, and so there was always that, that contact. Uh, of course, this is a little bit of magic on my part. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what <laughs> that's what the great ones do. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you you mentioned so many different songs, and I downloaded a, a number of them for somebody who is uh, um, a beginner in uh, listening to Kenny Dorham, like like me. A um, couple of suggestions that. Uh, oh, I, number number one, and this is related to the Texas uh, connection, is uh, uh, I'm an old cow hand. Uh, Johnny Mercer piece, which he really he really wrote about traveling in Texas uh, when he made a trip across Texas to El Paso, I think it was, uh, and he wrote the words for I'm an old cow hand, and actually wrote the music, which was unusual, based on the uh, the bells uh, or the I guess the clock chimes uh, in England at the Parliament, I believe it's the Parliament building. Um, so anyway, the, his recording of that is absolutely fabulous, I think. Uh, I'm an old cow hand. Um, and, and you mentioned the summertime, which is yeah. is really wonderful. Um, uh, there there's some especially beautiful uh, ballads that he plays uh, on the, the CD that's called... Uh, uh, Something about contrast, and it has a it has a harpist playing with him. Uh, I should be able to spot that here, but there's so many I I don't know if I can find it. But I think it, yeah, it's called jazz contrast, I believe. And and I think one of them is one of the pieces is called maybe but beautiful. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but uh, those, those have some really lovely. Uh, pieces and of course his work with the uh, jazz messengers uh, and uh, Art Blakey uh, fairly early in his career in the 54 or 55 period. So those are some that I would mention for sure. Um, he formed his own group, the Jazz Prophets, which didn't stay together. Uh, you you do allude to that right. too. And I would recommend that album too very much. And and another one that he did with the same group. Uh, that's um, uh, what is that called? It, it it's got a number of well, the, both of them have one of them has a lot of pieces on Mexico. Uh, that's uh, the, at the uh, one of the clubs in New York is the, is the name of it. Uh, and the other one uh, I can't remember its title either, but. It, it's very good. Uh, the the two with the uh, with his jazz prophets, uh, just wonderful, wonderful work. Dave, uh, you're uh, a prolific guy. You've been writing for quite a while. Um, are you working on a on a new project now? Well, right now I'm actually uh, working on a piece called the Cowtown Circle, which was a group of uh, painters in my hometown, uh, Fort Worth, uh, during the war, during the Second World War. And I came across uh, some of their work in an exhibit. And uh, so I'm having a lot of fun uh, 
working on that now. Uh, after I finished the Kenny Dorham, I found it hard to get out of the uh, quatrains. <laughs> and so I, this is also in, in quatrains, although I'm not really rhyming uh, uh, consistently the way I did in the Kenny Dorham uh, book. But uh, I'm, I found that my, my thoughts have <laughs> fallen into this pattern. I can't get out of it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, whatever, I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Well, that that sounds really interesting. It, what's what's the title? Is it a you have a book title yet? A working title? Well, this is just a long longish poem. Uh, it's I've written about seven or eight pages on it, uh, and there were a number of different artists involved. So uh, I've been uh, dealing with each one's you know some of the characteristic works, and and I, I, at the point that I'm in right now, I'm actually talking about uh, that. Uh, uh, Lake Worth uh, Casino Ballroom that I mentioned to you earlier, because one of the painters did a uh, a painting in 1939 called Jitterbuggers, so that gave me a chance to <laughs> get back into the jazz a little bit. <laughs> Most of the paintings have nothing to do with jazz whatsoever, or even with uh, with the uh, sort of uh, regional or historical. Periods they they tend to be more abstract or uh, they take uh, uh, subjects and and sort of make them surreal because this group was very influenced by Paris uh, which again made it very interesting to me because here's this uh, city known for its stockyards for it's called Cowtown Fort Worth's nickname is Cowtown. And uh, yet here in Cowtown, you had this very sophisticated group of, of painters and uh, sculptors uh, working uh, really under the influence of, uh, of, of Paris art. So I thought that was kind of an interesting subject. Well, sounds like uh, you're not done. Uh, you're uh, you've got a lot more uh, in you there, Dave. And, I hope. And, uh, <laughs> well, uh, in any case, I I, I would really uh, I'd like our listeners to know. Uh, you know, those of us who pride themselves on their jazz library, um, I just think your book is is uh, just such a creative original that I think it should be part of anyone's jazz library, and it's the kind of thing. Uh, that uh you know if you if you read it a couple of different times um that uh you get more and more f- from it just like any great classic work so uh, oh, i think well, you've done you a yeah i think you've done uh you know a very fine man and a very fine musician a, a great service through your poem but uh it's a great piece of art in in and of itself dave so uh it was really a, a pleasure reading your book and really a pleasure talking to you today Mine, too. A very great pleasure. Thank you so much, uh, Doc. Okay. Well, uh, this is Doc Stoll with New Books and Jazz. The book is KD, a jazz biography by Dave Oliphant, published by Wings Press. Dave, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You've been listening to New Books and Jazz with Doc Stoll. Today's guest was Dave Oliphant, whose new book, KD, a jazz biography, is a jazz poem testament to the life of trumpeter Kenny Dorham, published by Wings Press, 2012.